Hi, my name's Scott Thomas, and this is another brand new episode of Learning As I Go. Last week, we were joined by my good friend and operations director of the social PR, Nicola, and we talked all about grief and also her struggles as a teenage mum. This week, we are back with the main man, Cormac Murphy. Cormac is a good friend of mine, and I met him many years ago in New York. Today, Cormac talks really bravely about how he overcame his addiction with drugs and alcohol. So you will hear references to drugs, addiction, and suicide in this episode. If you do need support, there are numbers you can call in the episode description. Get ready because it's time to start learning as we go. The main man, Cormac Murphy, my good old Irish friend. How are you, Cormac? Yes, Scotty, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well, mate. I'm doing well. Yeah, and you, you're live from New York City, right? Yes, Friday morning in uh, New York City, man. Early riser like yourself, you know? <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, brother, for joining us. Right, so I'm going to try and have to start from the top of how we met. So basically, me and Cormac met in New York City. I think, what year was it? Do you know, Cormac? I think it was 2019, mate. 2018, 2019, there, thereabouts. Right. So it must have been about three, four years ago because it was Michael Escalacci's 30th birthday. And um, I turned up to PhD nightclub with all the boys. And we had a big table in there. And then literally, this guy stood out from a mile off because he looked like Zac Efron, right? So if you, <laughs> you can't see Cormac right now, guys, he looks like Zac Efron. For whatever reason, Cormac was working over there and he came over... And he introduced himself. You actually worked on all the nights and events over there. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, I was doing the parties there at the time. I think I was uh, promoting around a year at the time, so I was kind of building up, uh, building up a name for myself in the nightlife scene as uh, you know one of the, one of the only Irish promoters at the time. So I remember seeing um, big group of English guys coming in with their swag, jumping on the tables. I was like, wow, I'm gonna have to go over and talk to these guys here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so he came over, introduced himself. And then basically, we just got a good vibe off you from the moment I met you. And then we kind of stayed in touch on, on social media ever since then and whatever else. And then literally, I got a call off Cormac. So this is about six months into um, to me being sober. And I was quite open and honest about my journey, about going sober and everything else. And, and it's quite, do you know what? Me and Cormac have quite similar backgrounds because I used to throw parties and that's what Cormac did as well. So Cormac, you rang me up out of the blue and you said, Scott, um, I hope you don't mind me calling you, but... I just wanted some advice, right? You said, I'm about to go into rehab. And mm. I was shocked, right? Because looking at Cormac, guys, for anyone who knows him, he, even on social media, even back then, he was like sort of a really well um, put together guy. He looked at the business. He, he was always mixing in great circles. And he looked like you had the best life like you could ever see. And that's the sort of the illusion of social media sometimes, right? So when you told me, you went, Scott, listen, I've been really struggling with a problem with, I think it was alcohol and a coke addiction at the time. And mm. you said, I'm going to go into rehab. I was really shocked. But at the same time, I was so proud of you as well. I remember saying, I'm so proud of you to have that awareness. And it's weird, Cormac, because when you rang me, you weren't kind of like distraught or in a really sort of bad, but you, you seemed kind of level-headed. You was like, I'm going to go and do this. I know I need to do this. And I just mm. said it to you. It'd be the best thing you ever did. So tell us, Cormac, how did you get to that point where you realized that you needed to go into rehab? Yeah, it was. I do want Scott. I remember that day as well. I was I was back in Ireland, and I'm. I just felt like I had to, I had to tell you because um you know we were we 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 kept in touch, 
on through social media and obviously I did Love Island and you were helping me out with that before that but but I suppose you know I got in I moved to New York in 2017 Scott and you know I was always big fan of the movies man and the way I kind of tell the story is I remember Wolf of Wall Street came out it was probably a year or two before I moved to New York and I remember being so um excited watching that movie man and excited Every time there was a drug scene, right? Every time they were they were doing lines, I was so excited for that. And I remember I had never touched a drug until I moved to Australia, and I'd never done cocaine until I moved to New York. But I remember my first weekend moving to New York, I was looking for it. I was looking for cocaine because I heard wow. how cheap it was. I heard the high that you would get off of it, and I wanted that high. And I was always chasing something outside of me, and only, I only kind of learned why I was doing that. You know, the last couple of years. And we'll get we'll get to that after. But you know, when I moved to New York, it was it was kind of it kind of just kicked off from there, man. You know, I was working in the bar scene, and then I eventually got into the nightclub scene, and it was just easy as man. You know, I'm a 25 year old Irish guy living in New York City. And I can do whatever I want. No one's going to tell me not not to do this, not to do that. My parents lived at home. It was just open season, as I call it. Like you know, I could do what I want. I had I I was earning, making good money in nightlife. But it was that thrill I got when I was watching those movies like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio from Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Johnny Depp from Blow. I remember getting this thrill. My blood was always boiling when I was watching these movies. I was like, wow, I felt like I wanted to be one of these guys, you know, in um, that, that main character in that movie. You know, I, I felt like I was chasing that attention, that validation. And um, it's almost glamorized. Wanted, mm. Would you agree, Cormac? It's almost glamorized in Hollywood movies. They show in that Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, they do sort of show the, the downfall as well, but mm. there is an element of drug taking and that sort of like sort of erratic behavior is almost glamorized, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And obviously it's a movie, so it's a Hollywood movie. So it makes it makes it looks out to be yeah. the best thing ever. And but that's what I was chasing, man. I was chasing that ultimate high. And, you know, I only kind of found out a few years later that, you know, I wasn't happy with with me as a person and with who I was. So I was chasing something outside of me, you know. So mm. So go on. So then, so basically, you were throwing these parties every week, and yeah. at first, there must have been a time when you was loving life, right? Because I know when I first started throwing parties as a young guy, and all the attention, the girls, the the, the nightlife, it was exciting, yeah. right? And yeah, very very exciting. Um, because it was a first first for me as well. I'm around all these all these new people in New York City, and all these celebrities coming in, and eventually, I built up a name and. You know, we started bringing out all these sports people. Um, Anthony Joshua came out with us uh, a couple of times. Israel Alessandria came out, you know, wow. Kamar Usman, all these all these sports people. And you know me, man, I love my fighting. So <laughs> when, when these people started coming out with me, it just built up. My ego was getting bigger. I felt like I was kind of losing myself a little bit. And then, you know, drinking and, and drugging on a weekly basis, um, on a daily basis for, for, for some of the part, wasn't, um, it wasn't going to last very long, man. Yeah, did you do you feel like Cormac after a certain time? Because people have this perception of you as being this big party boy and sort of being the front man for these nights out. Did you feel like you mm -hmm. had to kind of drink and take drugs in order to sort of be that entertainer, to be that person that everyone thought you was? And that's when you just mentioned then that you kind of lost yourself because that's what kind of happened to me as well. Like I was yeah. trying to be someone I wasn't in order to entertain everybody else. Yeah, I suppose you kind of go back to your your Scotty special days, right? I suppose I kind of had my um my days as well where you know I some 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 nights I just didn't want to show up man I didn't want to show up I was I, I felt like something was going on in inside my head that I didn't like and I, I've never experienced before so using drugs and and overly um you know drinking on a on, on on most nights was the only only way that I thought I could deal with 
so many people and entertain these people because that's what I felt I was there for. I felt all, a lot of these girls, a lot of these guys were coming out to meet me and for me to entertain them on a, on a, on a night out. And, mate, it was hard because, you know, we threw parties every night, man. We were the main promoters at all these parties. And, you know, it's, it's so, socialising is great. And, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm definitely an extrovert. I, I love being around people. But when you're drinking excessively and, and using drugs, you know, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't last. It's not good for you, mate. It's like it was, you know, I remember after a year after I was promoting, I was like, I felt something going on in my head and I had, hadn't experienced before. And I was like, wow, this is... This is quite scary, and I never, never taught, never told anyone. But I suppose the only way to get me back up there was to drink and and, and use drugs. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because we call it socialising when we're drinking and and partying and stuff like that. But really, it's a kind yeah. of it's a very sort of one dimensional sense of socialising because you don't really know people that well when they've got this sort of. It's almost like a facade. A lot of people when they're drinking stuff, it's a facade. It's a it's a new sort of alter ego for a lot of people. I'm not saying everyone. But it's mm. not really socializing. I think now when I have sort of conversations in my local coffee shop with someone, I feel like that's proper socializing when you're actually getting to know that real person in that situation. Whereas when you're on a night out, I mean, I've met so many people over the years where I'd spend literally a night with them, a full night partying in the kitchen or whatever. And if they walk past me the next day, I probably wouldn't recognize them because I was literally in a different place and I wasn't myself. Did you feel like that sometimes? Yeah, 100%. Like, I, we, I used to throw these dinners before the, um, the nightclub, so that was the only time we could we would socialise, but it was an hour, mate. So once you go into the club, the music's loud, you're drinking away, so it's not actually socialising, you know what I mean? So there's plenty of times where I've had people come up to me on the street, they would have told me I had a great, great time with you there a couple of weeks ago, and I'm looking at them, and in my head I'm like, I don't know who you are, <laughs> you know? That was the scary thing about it, you know. I was like, wow, there were some moments like that where I would um, get a message off a girl or a guy or I'd see him in the street and even looking at their photos, I'm like, I, I can't remember this person. Wow. So moments like that, I was like, wow, this, is, um, this isn't normal. It can't be normal. No. So then, uh, listen, I know from obviously our previous conversations that things got to a really low point for you, Cormac, to the point where this lifestyle that started off really sort of glamorous and exciting and everything else then started to slowly but surely become really sort of a, a bit of a downward spiral for you and you found yourself in a really dark place and I remember you actually telling me about a time where and I hope you don't mind me saying this where there was a time where you mm. were stood on your balcony and you mm. actually considered jumping right am I right there yeah 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 I was um I was supposed to go to Vegas this is back in 2020 I was supposed to go to Vegas with one of my clients and uh probably about four days four or five days before that I was using a lot of drugs and it wasn't even alcohol mate I I, I reckon I, I would have used cocaine and this other drug called 2C maybe three or four nights in a row and on the fourth night the night before I was going to Vegas I was living in this um building in Queens and and just outside Manhattan and I uh I stood outside my window, it was my window, window of my apartment. And I, remember I texted my friend saying something, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I suppose that was something inside me that I wanted to tell something, some, a friend of mine that, you know, I was going to jump out the window. So I, I stood out the window, I must've been out there for an hour, mate. And, um, I, but I was waiting for someone to come. I wanted someone to come, even though I wanted to throw myself out the window, I wanted someone to come. And luckily my, my buddy that I was working with at the time had came in and pulled me, pulled me in, but it was, um, yeah, it was scary, man. Even talking about it now, I can't. Yeah, I can't believe that happened, but it did. It did, and um, I'm very, very grateful that I didn't jump. And there was something inside of me, or someone inside of me, that was telling me, "Get back in, man. You have you've too much, too much to lose here." 
So Cormac, what was going through your mind at that point? Did you feel trapped? Did you feel like you were in sort of a, an endless cycle of self-sabotage mm. and you just didn't really love yourself, I'm guessing? Like, how did you actually yeah. feel? Didn't care about life, mate. Didn't care about what I was doing to myself. Um, was feeding myself with, as I said, a lot of drugs at the time. And, and it was just self-sabotage. The way my counselor, my, one of my therapists had told me in rehab, she she had said, um, use a great analogy. She said, she said, okay, picture you're on the subway line in New York. And she said, um, there's so many stops around Manhattan, right? There's so many stops. She said, she felt that I couldn't get off any of the stops in New York, that I was on a very, very fast train. And I actually said to her, I felt like I was driving the train. So it was um, it was a good way of looking at me. It was just like I was on this on this very fast subway ride in around New York City, and I couldn't get off any of the stops. Eventually, you know, I I did get off some stops, but that that analogy kind of stuck with me because I felt like I was doing it for you know so I felt like I was doing it for so long that I didn't know any other way about about life, you know. Although mm. people saw on my social media that, oh, he goes to the gym, he gets in shape. You know, I was, I was doing some modeling here when I first moved out in New York and they saw this perfect profile of me. But if you got, if you, if you wiped away the profile, it was actually me with a drug addiction, depression, anxiety, and no one knew, no one knew. That was the scary thing about it, man. No one really knew. And do you feel like that's a big sort of moment when people do start to sort of cutting on to how you're actually feeling and, and, and you actually talk about how you're feeling. I feel like that's a massive moment in anyone who's struggling with an addiction or anything else because I talk about this when I had a gambling addiction when I was 21 years old. And as soon as my family found out and as soon as people around me sort of knew what was happening, that's when I started to find solutions because people were like, I'm going to help you. And I feel like a lot of people sometimes think I'm going to bottle this up. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to keep it to myself because I'm disappointed in myself. I'm embarrassed. When really, when you actually do open up and you talk about what you're going through, how you're struggling, you quickly realize that there's a lot of people around you who want to help you and find solutions. And I know that was, for example, you had some good friends at the time. You also had your brothers mm -hmm. as well, who when they found out, they sort of all gathered around you. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So a lot, a lot of my friends, some of my friends that I worked with and I was around New York knew here, but I suppose they were newer mates. I just met them when I moved to New York. So maybe like, you know, two, three years, but a lot of my closer friends live back home. My brothers didn't know at the time, but eventually, and this is post Love Island where my drug use got really, really bad to the point where, you know, I lost, I, I remember telling you this, you didn't believe me. I lost, I think it was 26 pounds in the space of like two and a half months. So it became apparent that I was, I was struggling big time, but I, you know, I eventually texted home and, um, you know, my mother and my sister and my, my brothers found out and it came to, um, it came to the stage where my brother Liam had actually flown over to get me on a plane and get me back to Ireland. Wow. What happened then, Cormac, in terms of, what was the defining moment where you started to turn things around? So it was, it was obviously that moment when your family found out and, and a couple yeah. of your close friends. And then what was the next steps now then? So how did you get yourself out of this situation? What was the next steps? Yeah, so I was I was trying to get sober in New York. It wasn't happening. I was in meetings. I was looking into an uh, in-house in program in New York. It was too expensive. Um, so my brother had flown over and within five days, I flew back to Ireland and I knew what was going to happen. I, and I didn't mind. I can picture it in my head now. I remember landing into Ireland. I felt this big weight off my shoulders because I knew pretty soon I was going to go into rehab. So my my dad and my mom um, had looked into some rehab centers and one of the best ones in Ireland was actually 15 minutes down the road. Wow. But I was so terrified of going in there and people finding out and I, my head was scrambled, mate. It was, it was, it was a scary time. Although I, I, 
I knew what I had to do. I had to get sober. I had, I had to stop using. And I knew rehab was the answer, but I was very embarrassed. You know, I built up such a, a name for myself in New York as a promoter. I did this reality show, but deep down I was struggling, you know, suicidal. So I knew the only solution for me was to get myself into rehab. And that's what I did. You know, it was a month after I flew back to Ireland. I, I got myself into this in-house program and I was in there for four weeks. And um, mate, it was the best thing, best thing I've ever, I ever did. Although it was so scary, man, it was like... Um, I remember being dropped off and uh, my, my father at the time dropped me off and uh, I was in tears, mate. It was, it, was, it was so sad, but I knew, as I said, it was the only, only solution. And after a couple of days in there, mate, I was like, you know what, this is, this is just what I need. I needed to get everything out, fix what's going on in my head. Yeah, it's it's seemed to work, man. I'm here today, so I think it yeah, worked. Yeah, mate, you've done incredible. And I'm sorry just to bring it up because I don't know why, but it makes me smile that when your dad found out, what was your dad? Your dad was like in, in disbelief. He was like, look at you going, you're oh, all right, son. Yeah. I can't do that exactly, but he's like, you're right, son. <laughs> I think I told you this, man. I, uh, you know, I had an option. We had, I had to go for an interview to get into the rehab center. And my mother said, I'll go. I said, no, I'll let my father, let dad come with me. And so I told everything about, you know, the drugs, the women, the strip clubs, how much money I was spending, everything like that, mate. And I was in tears, bro. I was chatting for about 45 minutes. I was telling all my stories because I had to tell the counselor everything to get in there. But I remember my dad just looking. <laughs> I remember my dad looking over me, man. He was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know oh, why I'm man. laughing, but I just, no, it's because I know it's your funny. relationship with your dad was so tight. And yeah, for anyone yeah. who just broke Cormac, Sadly, lost his dad last year, but he was so close to his dad. He was such a character. And I don't know why, but I just feel like it was, it must have been such a shock to your dad, especially being like such an old school guy. But listen, he, he stood by you and so did your family. And, and I think that's a credit yeah. to you, Cormac, that people believed in you. So you, what, what actually happens in rehab, Cormac, for anyone who doesn't know? What actually happens on a day-to-day -day basis? How does it look and work? Yeah, it's it's a good, good question. Um, obviously, yeah, obviously no phone. Phone's taken off you straight away. A bit like uh, Love Island, right? You're <laughs> doing <laughs> you'd, a lot of talking, man, a lot of meetings. Um, I remember I used to say when I first started talking to meetings, I'm like, oh, yeah, a very addictive personality. And I remember the counselor just shaking her head. She's like, that doesn't that doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. You got to go deeper. So it's just, you know, finding out why I was using, why I, why I wanted to basically kill myself. Why was I suicidal? So it's a lot of journaling, made a lot of writing. A lot of early mornings and uh, just a lot of talking, bro. A lot of one-to-one -one work, a lot of group work and stuff like that. So because you're not the only one in there, I was in there maybe 13 or 14 other people. So you know, it's not about telling how much drugs you did, your war stories. It's about finding out and helping one another to figure out what's going on in here and why you're using so much drugs. Because it wasn't just cocaine, mate. There was people who were heroin addicts, you know, meth addicts. There was gamblers, you know. So once I started hearing all these other people's stories, I was like, wow, you know what? Mine isn't actually that bad compared to other people. So it kind of, it grounds you a little bit. It kind of humbles you, mate, honestly. Mm -hmm. It really does. It was a very humbling experience. You know, I can't say too much more about like what else mm -hmm. went on as far as the stories and that because, um, you know, it's uh, it was a great experience, man. Like I remember coming out, finishing after the four weeks, obviously very excited to see my family. And, you know, I saw them once every two weeks because that was a part of the recovery. But it was, um, I just remember being very, very happy that I did it, but just very excited for life whereas before when i went in i wasn't really mad I, I i didn't i felt like i didn't have much hope but when i came out there was a lot of hope there you know i think there's something really powerful as well because i actually did um 
when I had a gambling problem, I went to Gamblers Anonymous just to do one session. Mm. And basically, you all have to sit around. And I'm like a young 21-year-old guy. And everyone's talking about the problems. And I'm thinking, when it gets around to me, I don't have to say anything, right? But when it uh, came, came around to me in true Scotty style, literally, they couldn't shut me up. And I just basically unloaded exactly how I felt. And it just felt like a sense of relief. And everyone just stood up clapping and everything else. Yeah. And, and then to hear other people's problems as well. In their problems, you almost find solutions to yours as well. And I think there's something really powerful about talking. And I know we say this a lot, men should talk, everyone should talk, right? Because once you do put stuff out to the universe, you often do find solutions. And I think there's something really powerful in that. So I understand where you're coming from. But just yeah. one thing I really want to highlight, Cormac, is I think sometimes, especially in today's society, people expect everyone to be perfect and people to go through something and then come out the other side and it'd be sort of plain sailing. But I know for you, Cormac, you went and did rehab, you had a great sort of period after that, but there was a moment when you relapsed, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was um, when I got out of rehab, COVID had just started. I remember watching on TV and hearing about COVID and then I came out a week later, but I was thriving, mate. I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm, everything's going to be, I'm going to be sober. I'm going to start, you know, working out. I'm going to get back into my fitness. And, um, you know, everything was locked down. I was living at home with my parents and my sister. And I hadn't lived with my parents in years. You know, five and a half months later, um, mate, it was just, it was very difficult, man. It was very, very difficult. I was struggling mentally. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I um, I relapsed back in my backyard and um, with a liter, a liter of vodka. And my, can't remember, but my, my mother had called an ambulance and I woke up in the hospital and again, it was it wasn't with a it was a with, with a mental health doctor. Honestly, I remember feeling okay. The doctor was trying to figure out why I was doing this, and I was like, Do you know what? I'm I was just I was struggling even more before I went into rehab." But I don't even think it was the it was the alcohol made or the drugs. I just wanted to just get outside of me. I felt it was definitely a learning learning curve, and we call it re relapse. It definitely it was a part of my story. I needed that because I went on to continue drinking for the summer. I used a couple of times. But to people listening to this and kind of being shocked about relapsing, it's a part of recovery. It's a part of recovery. So me using that time, I was actually quite happy, mate, because it, it, it made me realize I don't want to do this anymore. Do not, I don't want to do this anymore, you know? It was a part of my journey and still is. It was a learning curve relapsing that time because I realized, like, this isn't the life for me. I don't want to be a, a, at, a, at an after party at 5 a.m. doing lines of coke. I don't, I don't want to do that anymore, you know? There's a, there's a lot more in life that I want to achieve. And that was, you know, looking after me, looking after my mindset, mind, body and soul. And, you know, it was um, it was fitness for me, man. Fitness was the answer. Yeah, do you know what? It's something really powerful in that because this happens to me as well sometimes in terms of like, so I went sober for 12 months and then I'm a little bit like you, Cormac. We talked about this when we were away in Tulum. We kind of don't want to be labeled as the sober guy and we almost don't want to be put in a box. And I think sometimes like, Alcoholics Anonymous and stuff like that, even though they do do some great work, they kind of say you're an alcoholic mm. and that's it. You're sort of labeled as that. And I don't want to ever be labeled as that. And I think mine was a bit more of a lifestyle thing than an addiction. But the same time is, I went through that 12 months of being sober. And then now I'm trying to find that, that middle ground, right? That balance when mm. I do have a drink. And you know what? Sometimes it's perfect. I have a couple of drinks, I can go home. But every now and then, it will happen where I have a big blowout and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? And, and, and then I start to realize that something you just said then is that, that's part of the process because every time that happens, first of all, I'm trying to break a habit of 15 years. I was drinking for 15 years since I was a young kid. Mm -hmm. That was always my escapism and that was it. So this is a habit of a lifetime. I'm trying to break away. So for anyone listening, when you're trying to break away from a habit of a lifetime, it takes time. It takes bumps in the road. It takes yeah. little sort of 
moments where you take a lot of learnings from that and keep moving forward. That's the most important part. Don't ever throw the towel in. You keep moving forward. You go, right, so how did that make me feel? And like you said, analyze how it made you feel, take as much from it and then move forward. And I think it happened um, about a month and a half ago, Cormac, where I'll be honest, you had this blowout, mate. And you know what I'm like every now and then I have one. I went, <laughs> but this time there's something different about it. I went, whoa, that life is not for me. It's just mm. categorically not for me. It took me 10 days to recover from it mentally. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not having this. I'm not having this in my life. And do you know what? In a way, I look back now and go, that little moment is probably one of the most crucial moments in my life again. Because sometimes people think, oh, Scott's, oh, he's smashing life now. He's perfect. I'm, I'm not perfect. Perfectionism doesn't exist. What I am mm -hmm. doing is learning as I go. Hence why this podcast is called that. And I think that moment for you was definitely the catalyst. And then... Let's get to the, the exciting part now, Cormac, because for me, how you've gone from <laughs> this, we've set the scene and what you've done. But now for anyone, yeah. right, you need to go and check out Cormac's Instagram. This guy is in insane shape. He's now a qualified PT coaching so many people, helping them achieve their goals. He's living in New York City. He's gone back to where it all started, which is brave in itself. And now this guy is literally, he lived with me, by the way. So Cormac came to live with me. Uh, it was meant to be two weeks, but it ended up being about three, four months, maybe longer. Was it longer? How long was it? I think it was about four months, mate. Yeah, yeah it was about four <laughs> months. And I just loved being around you, Cormac, because this guy is just constantly working on himself. He's constantly watching YouTube clips. He's constantly studying James Smith and nutrition and all these different things. And now you are very much on the same vibe as me. You're on this self-development vibe mm -hmm. and you are literally smashing life. How does it feel now to be where you're at? Well, first off, bro, honestly, man, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on your podcast, but I learned so much, so much off of you those months. I, I lived with you, mate, just your positivity, your mindset. Honestly, bro, even a little bit about business here and there. And honestly, man, because I feel I, I can see myself in you a little bit, bro. We've had similar journeys, right? I just feel like obviously, you know, you're a little older than me, right? So, <laughs> so oh, for no, those four didn't. months that I lived <laughs> for those four months I lived with you, mate, honestly, it was actually some of the best months of my life. I met some of the best people in Manchester, but I learned so much off your lifestyle, man. And that's what I'm taking into my lifestyle as well. Um, those early morning starts, we were talking about this this morning as well. Um, so I just want to say thank you first off, Scott, because honestly, mate, you, you're definitely a part of the reason why I'm on the best track of my life right now. So I really, really appreciate Legend, everything bro. you've done for me in Manchester, we're, bro. We're um, in this together, so man. We're, we're in this together. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And we, we were even chatting about this in Tulum as well. Like, and, you know, the fact that I'm on your podcast now is just, it's amazing. So I'm hoping my story can help someone a little bit as well, because every podcast that I've done the past two, two years since coming out of rehab, I felt like it's, it has helped someone. So even if it's one person, that's, that's fantastic, bro. But yeah, man, New York is, it's going great, man. I'll, I'll tell you a little story. Just a week before my dad passed, he had told my, my mother that he wanted to talk to me. So I came into the room and he was very ill at this stage, obviously. And, um, you know, he had asked me what I was doing, what my goals were and, I actually looked him in the face. I said, I don't really know what I'm doing. And he said, that's fine. He said, you know, he's like, have you ever thought about going back to New York? And I said, you know, it's been on my mind. I felt like I'm living in fear. Though. I'm afraid to go back. And he, um, you know, he basically just said, fuck him. He said, fuck them all. He said, you got, you face your fears. Fuck them all. He just kept repeating, like, <laughs> repeating that, man. And yeah, man, a week, a week after he passed, I booked my flights and I said, you know what? Face, face my fears and... That's what I'm doing, bro. Sorry. Oh, mate, you're making me emotional, man. Yeah. You're making me emotional. You've done it, man. You've gone back and, you, and yeah. you're, you're smashing life over there. But what you obviously turned to fitness and, and wellness and nutrition to kind mm. of 
it was your sort of shining light, right? Your your way out. So for yeah. anyone listening to this, like how did dedicating yourself to your wellness journey help you sort of stay on track and consistent? Yeah, I felt, you know what, mate? I've I've always been into fitness. I played rugby my whole life. But um, I felt the only thing that was holding me back in New York at that time was the party scene, right? So I felt like I needed to get into a new environment. And what was I good at? What I was what, what was I always good at was fitness. It was talking to people. You know, I'm, I'm, my mother always says, you're a very nice person. You're a very nice person. You should always do something with people. I said, okay, ma'am. So my mother, it was actually my mother that pushed me into going back to doing this PT course. So I felt like, you know, okay, I'm good at fitness. I'm good with people. And it's all just a line, mate. And um, you know what? From the experiences that I've, I'm only 29, but I felt like I've lived, lived, lived a couple of lives, right? And I've, I have some good experiences with people. Um, so I put it all together, mate, and that's what I'm doing. And I'm obviously doing my online coaching and, and my PT and stuff. And it's, it's working out well, mate, because, um, you know, as a coach, I feel people have to put their trust in you. And I felt like I've, through my experience, I've built up trust. I built up my knowledge in the fitness industry. And it was always something I wanted to do, fitness and then, you know, I just signed with um, with uh, Modeling Age out here as well. So these are two goals that I wanted back in the day and I wasn't able to do that. Now I'm able to do the, do this because I have a clear head. You know, I'm up, up early every morning. I'm, I'm working on me and this is very important. And this is something I learned f- from you as well, mate, is in order to help other people, you have to help yourself, right? So whatever that is, it's not just going to the gym. It's writing, your, uh, writing into your gratitude journal, reading a self-help book, you know. So in order, and this is what I've noticed, since moving back to New York, and it's something I have to continuously do, is work on not only my body, but work up here, Scott. It's very, very important. Even I was listening to this podcast the other day, and they were talking about sleep. Like, I remember there was nights, I didn't sleep in New York, man. I was wondering why it was my head wasn't wasn't working properly. I wasn't sleeping. So it's not just going to the gym. It's not just reading the books. It's not just writing into your journal. It's getting eight hours sleep. But it's all simple stuff, right? All simple stuff, but it's done continuously and consistently over a period of time. And that's it, mate. That's it. Where it's like a car, mate. You, you know, a car runs out of fuel after after a week. You got to f- fill it back up again. That's yeah. what we are, mate. Yeah. I feel like once um, you've been through something like we've been through in terms of a massive lifestyle change, we've seen how bad it could be, but then we've also got a taste now how how good it can be. And I think yeah. that's why we're sort of addicted now to self-development and working on ourselves and someone said something recently and it really stood out to me and it's like, I want more so I can give more, whether that's knowledge, whether that's finances. I sometimes ask myself, why do I want to be a multimillionaire? I want to be a multimillionaire so I can give more to my family. I can create generational wealth and I can give more to other people around me. And I think that goes for everything across the board. The more that you're looking after yourself, investing into your wellness, your health, your training, your reading, everything, the more that you sort of develop yourself, you then become a better person for those people around you. And that's something why I feel like me and you are really focused on doing that. Do you, do you agree? Yeah, 100%. Everything you said there, it's um, very important. And I think it's like, for me anyway, I think it came with a maturity thing, mate. I was too immature and like didn't think that was cool or whatever. But I, it seems we didn't have the new cool thing that was working on yourself, self-development. And it's all over Instagram. And it's very important. And even I'll touch on social media a little bit. I remember like all these different pages I used to follow and that was all going in here. Now, if you open up my Instagram, man, it's all cooking cooking shows and self, self-help self pages and Jay Shetty and all these people are the only people on my feed. Because what this, I always say to my client, clients and even just friends, when you wake up in the morning, right? And if you look at your phone, whatever you look at is going straight in here. So you have to treat here. You have to make sure that whatever's on your feed is healthy, it's not going to trigger you. And that's something that I have to be important as well as is different triggers, but at least I know my triggers as well. So for instance, if, if you have a, 
an alcohol problem or you, you feel like you're going out too much on weekends, a simple commercial on your social media can be a trigger to get you up off your couch, get you ready and get get you straight into town. So you got to be very careful with, you know, people, places, things I always say, people you're with, things you do, places you are, places you go to. You got to be very careful with that. So that's what someone told me back in the day. People, places, things. Yeah, do you know what? You're so right. And do you know what, Comac? I don't know if you noticed, but the other day I've unfollowed everyone on Instagram. And this isn't me being bougie. Yes, I've unfollowed you as well, Cormac. And me. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Do you know why, mate? Because I followed 4,000 people. And for that exact yeah, reason, mate. you're just saying then, yeah. I follow people who I used to party with every single week. And some of these people are still out every single weekend. Yeah. And I'm watching their feeds going, I'm staying in on a, on a nice bank holidays um, weekend thinking, oh, I'm having a great time. I look at their feeds and look at all these people who I don't even sort of socialize with anymore. And I see them, I'm like, I'm triggered. So now, yeah. for, therefore, I've now realized that I kind of need to unfollow everyone, take a step back. And don't get me wrong, I'll start to follow my people again and the people that I sort of enjoy following and who I get sort of fulfillment out of following and motivation. Yeah. And I'll go again, but I think it's so important to sort of make sure that you distance yourself from people, places and things that no longer serve you. And I think it's so easy, right? For example, when I had this blowout the other week, it was so easy for me to quickly fall back into who, who I used to be because I was in the same place with the same people doing the same things, right? And I think sometimes we kid ourselves and go, there's nothing to do in this country. There's nothing to, nowhere to go. And trust me, there is. There's so much <laughs> to do in this country. My mate the other day took me to this rock climbing place at Trafford Centre, which I never knew was there. And I had the most amazing time doing something I've not done since I was a kid. And there's so many different things to do, but we often kid ourselves and think, you know what? We lack choices in this country and we lack places to go. And all you can do is go out and drink and party. And you know what? There is an element of life that there is a culture around that. But trust me, there's a lot of people like me and you who are now trying to do different things. And I think that's so important. So yeah. we touched on some tips there, Cormac, for anyone who wants to make a change and or is in a really sort of dark place. What would be your sort of first piece of advice for them to start making some changes? At the time when I went back to Ireland, right, I felt there was no other choice. There was no other choice. It was rehab or I was probably going to commit suicide, right? But I'd say if you brought it back maybe a year and a half, two years, and if I maybe had told someone or if I had gone to a meeting, I reckon I would have been good, mate. I reckon I, I wouldn't have needed rehab. So for me personally, it was probably too late and I, I had to go to rehab. But for someone else, maybe if they feel like they're just drinking a little bit too much on the weekends or they're hanging out with the wrong crew and they're using. I think it's going back to who you surround yourself with as well, you know? For some for some cases, who you surround yourself with. But if you feel like there's something going on in your head, you have to talk to someone, bro. You have to do it. I held it in for years, man. I built up this this anger and this a lot of anxiety, you know, that ultimately led to me being depressed for over a year, mate. So I feel like it's something that's always built up. Unless you talk to someone, it's always going to stay there. It's always going to build up. I used to get really tight back, right? And my therapist had told me from that was from the years where you never, we, we held everything in, you didn't talk to people. And I felt like every time where, you know, if I have, because not, not every day, not every week is good, man. You were going back to your, your night out a couple of weeks ago. There was a week there in um, March where I felt like I was doubting myself. I wasn't reading. I wasn't doing my meditation. I was I barely, was barely working out and I was thinking to myself, I was like, Do you know what? what got me to the dance here? I need to talk. So I rang one of my mates. I said, I'm not really feeling well here. And even still to this day, like you mean, people think just because I went to rehab and now I don't party anymore, it's not, you know, I, I still have to work on myself. So if you, if you feel like you're, you're starting out and you're getting these thoughts, mate, it's just talk to a loved one, talk to a friend. Because if, you, if you're not telling anyone, how are, you, how are you supposed to know what's going on in here? Because it's very... It's hard, mate. If, if you're struggling with a mental health order, right? 
unless it's apparent here, how are people going to know unless you talk? I know, and that's right? such a good point, Cormac, because for me and for you, like we both lived sort of this extravagant life on social media and people thought that we were sort of happy all the time. And I think it's so important. All these different platforms, they only show the highlight reel. And it's mm. up to us as human beings to show the real us, especially to the people around us, especially when we're going through something that's tough or a struggle, right? And I think yeah. that is such a good piece of advice just to share how you're feeling and talk to someone. There's going to be always someone who's going to listen. Drop me a DM. I'll listen to you. Like, whatever. Like, and I think this is why me and you are using our platforms now to talk about this because we see the value in talking about how we're feeling. And I think, credit to you, Cormac, it's so brave for you to come on here and talk so honestly and openly about what you've been through. To see the progression in you now is just unbelievable. And I think you made a good point then before that mental health is not, a quick fix. You don't have an overnight solution. It's an ongoing process that you are working on continuously every single day. And I am as well. People look at me and go, Scott, you look like you're happy every single day. You look really smiley and you Thomas brothers. I went, trust me, we're not right. But I'll tell you one thing we are though. We're committed to working on ourselves every single day and making sure that we put the right energy out into the universe, because I believe that positivity and energy is contagious. And I think that's what we all sort of need to do, right? Mm. I tell you this one, right? I was telling this to one of my clients a couple of weeks ago and um, they weren't having uh, the best week. And I said to him, tonight, you know, organize this, organize that. But I look, this could account for a lot of people, but everyone always says, I hope, I hope tomorrow's going to be a good day. I hope today is going to be a good day. Don't hope for the next day to be a good day. You got to create the best day. Don't hope for a good day, create the best day. So that's why I always said, I remember someone told me that before it stuck with me. So every time I'm like, oh, today isn't going, going well. When I'm thinking, I'm like, Juan, what did I do to make sure that today could have been the best day? Starts from the night before me, you know, overnight oats, bro. You like those overnight oats, I don't love you? it. I love it. Do you know what? Something I've been doing recently, Cormac, is writing down every morning, today is going to be an incredible day. Something yes. special is going to happen, right? And when you look back on your day, you'll find something that is. And for me, Cormac, Today, that is you, bro. You being on yes, my bro. podcast, mate, because honestly, I've loved every minute of this conversation. And even though we're mates, like sometimes we don't get to this level. Honestly, you've helped me today. You've inspired me and I know you're going to help inspire so many people. So thank you, brother, for joining no, me. legend, brother. Thank you. And also for anyone who wants to know, what's your Instagram, Cormac? I am Cormac Murphy. So. I am Cormac Murphy. I am Cormac Check Murphy, him out yeah. and give him a little follow, especially for any fitness tips. But thank you, brother. It's been another real life lesson with someone who is absolutely on an incredible journey so i'm really proud of you bro so thank you yes mate love you bro thank you man that was another seriously emotional episode with my good friend cormac and we've caught up so many times before but that was just on another level and i hope it helped so many people out there and cormac you are honestly one seriously brave man for sharing that story so thank you thank you to everyone as well who keeps supporting this podcast every single week your rates, your reviews, your follows, they all really do make a massive difference. So I cannot thank you enough. And don't forget, I've got another podcast out there at the minute called Manx on the Mic. So please check that out with my brothers. And you know what? Tag me, tag away on your story, share any takeaways you get from the podcast. You can find me at scott.thomas on Instagram. But until next week, when I'm back with another incredible guest, I will see you then to learn some more life lessons as we go.